This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Luke's Gospel, chapter 6. Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. Give you a moment to find that while I pour myself a little drink. Six. Now it happened on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the grain fields, and his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees said to them, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? But Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he went into the house of God and took and ate the showbread and also gave some of those with him, which was not lawful for any but the priest to eat? And he said to them, The Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. That happened on another Sabbath, also that he entered the synagogue and taught. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely whether he would heal on the Sabbath that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? And when he had looked around at them all, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they were filled with rage and disgust with one another what they might might do to Jesus. Amen. All three synoptic gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all record this healing of the man with the withered hand in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now, it was Jesus' habit, his custom, to be in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And we as believers, followers of Christ, should do no less than to be in the house of God every Sunday, except there would be extenuating circumstances, work or holidays or illness or whatever. This was a holy habit of Jesus, and it should be our holy habit also. What a blessing it is to come to the house of God. We miss something if we miss the house of God. God created a family. He created a place of worship, a place where we can come together and seek his face and worship him corporately together. So we ought not to miss this. Now, the context, as we saw there for this healing was that the scribes and Pharisees, as usual, were trying to find some way to accuse Jesus either by his words or by his works. They just followed him around, trying to nitpick everything to try to get something to accuse him that he's doing wrong. And in this case, of course, the Sabbath was their bugbear. Uh, They had made all kinds of rules and regulations to hem in the Sabbath to the point where it was such a burden on people they could hardly bear it. And, you know, Jesus said in another gospel, he says that the the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, it was to be a blessing, not a burden. But they had made it a burden. 
uh, till people got to the place where they, where they were despising it because it was such a, such a load on their shoulders that not even God ever intended. And so they were, they were looking for something to accuse them about the Sabbath. And you saw there how the, Jesus and the disciples going through the cornfield, taking some of those corns, rubbing their hands and eating them because they were hungry and they complained about that. And he says, well, did you not know about David going into the temple and taking the showbread, which he wasn't supposed to do because his men was hungry? In other words, you're, you know, this is nonsense. This is, this is nonsense. You're, you're, you know, it's, it's okay to do good on the Sabbath, he said. And you're talking about this man that's being hated. Is it not right to do good for this man? And, and Matthew's gospel, he says, which of you having a sheep that falls into a ditch, would he not go and get that sheep out? Would that not be a good thing to do? Every one of you, as he said, would do that. So why is it wrong then to heal this man on the Sabbath? So that's the context. But I, I really want to focus really just on the fact that this man was healed. And even though... The context is that Jesus was getting at those rules and regulations that were man-made about the Sabbath that was destroying the Sabbath. Uh, even though Jesus was dismantling all their arguments, and even though this, for this man it was a wonderful healing, but it's here for our admonition. There's something here for us to learn as well. How we should handle Sundays, for example, uh, or how we should be blessed, but also something else that we want to point out today. The fact that this man, it tells us this man's hand was withered, it was shriveled up, would imply that this was something that happened probably later on in his life. Probably he wasn't born like this, but something happened later on in life. Maybe a malady, an illness, or an accident, or something happened later on in his life. What age, we don't know. When it happened, we don't know. How it happened, we don't know. What we do know is that at some point, his hand began to wither up and shrivel up. Uh, and that which was a blessing uh, just became a curse to this man. That which was supposed to be a help became a hindrance. And it was just, it was just, it was just a burden to the man. It was no good to him. It was just hanging there, loose, useless. Supposed to be functional, now it was dysfunctional. And the wonderful thing, though, I see first of all in this, is even though this was a terrible thing that happened to this man, and even though it set him at a great disadvantage in his life, we, we don't know whether he had to lay down his job or his work or whatever the case may be, but what we imagine, of course, that it would put him at a disadvantage. But in spite of all of that, he was in the house of God. He never missed the synagogue. And the reason why I say that is this, is because there's many believers, many Christians. And while everything's going well, wonderful, they come to the house of God, their hands is up and they're praising God to the first thing that goes wrong. And then the house of God's out the window. Suddenly, God is not so good anymore. Church is not so good anymore. Don't feel like worshiping anymore. Don't feel like reading the Bible anymore. But not this man. Not this man. In spite of what happened to him, he made it his business to be in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And we should be the same. Bad things happen to good people. And this man probably was a good man, but bad things happened to him. But it didn't, it didn't come between him and God, is what I'm saying. So don't let the bad things come between you and God. 
Don't run from God, run to God. If you ran out of petrol in your car, you wouldn't say, well, I'm never going to go to a garage again. It'd be ridiculous, wouldn't it? You'd go and get petrol. You'd go to the place where you get help. Dr. Luke, probably because he was a doctor, was the only one out of the three gospel writers that recorded this, said that it was his right hand. I could imagine whenever he was writing this account down from somebody that was telling him, maybe a first-hand witness, and imagine him stopping them in the middle and saying, excuse me, what hand was it? Well, what does it matter what hand it was? Well, it, he was a doctor. It mattered to him, and it certainly mattered to the man because it was his right hand, Dr. Luke records. And usually people are right-handed. Generally speaking, we're right-handed people. And so that was an important thing to note, that this was something that was a big loss to this man. Question. Question to you this morning. Is it possible that you have come today to the synagogue, to the house of God, and there's a part of your life that's shriveled, that's withered, Maybe a dream that you once held. Maybe a ministry that you once had. Maybe something that at one time you were passionate about. Maybe there was a thing in your life that was a driver for you. It was a reason for you to get up in the morning. Do you love to do it? You love to have that. A calling maybe that you walked in. I hope that maybe you cherished a ministry that you once exercised. But today, that part of your life has withered. It's shriveled up. It's not doing anything. It's there, but it's dormant. It's not being exercised. Joseph... God had gave him a wonderful dream. Just as a young man, he was about 17. It was a God-given dream. But because he was young, he was immature, he didn't handle it very well. His brothers already two strikes against him because his father favored him above them and gave him that wonderful coat. So what did he do? He said to his brothers, I had a dream. I dreamt I was out in the field and, and my sheaf of corn stood up. And your sheaves stood up, but then your sheaves bowed to my sheaf. <laughs> well, they didn't like them to start with. <laughs> they liked them a lot less now. Are you trying to tell us <laughs> that you're going to rule over us? That we're going to bow down to you? You, us, bow down to you? And then he made matters worse. He had another dream. He said, another dream. He says, this time I, I saw 11 stars and the sun and the moon, and they were bowing all down to me. And now his father and mother's upset, because that's the sun and the moon, and they were the 11 stars, the brothers. Now everybody's angry with him. Even though the father loved him and favored him, he's angry with him now. And then you know what happened, of course, how that the brothers took Joseph and wanted to actually kill him. But if it wasn't for one of the brothers who said, no, don't, we can't kill him. We'll pretend we've killed him but they can't actually kill him, they can't murder him, but they, they wanted to. And so then a, a band of Ishmaelites came and, and they sold them to the Ishmaelites into, uh, into slavery 
and he was a slave in Egypt. And do you remember how then God favored him and he got into the house of Potiphar and became the chief man in the house of Potiphar, even though he was a slave? And then Potiphar's wife accused him of, of molesting her and raping her, and he got thrown into prison. Uh, you know, and, and did you ever watch that program? It's a series that's been on from time to time called Banged Up Abroad. And, and it's usually an American or a British person or a Westerner, and either in the Middle East or the Far East or South America, somewhere, they end up, you know, they've been dealing in drugs or get caught with drugs, and they end up in some hellhole of a prison somewhere. It's called Banged Up Abroad. And it takes you the whole reconstruction of the whole story. Well, here Joseph is, he's banged up abroad. And he has no family here. There's no friend. In fact, there's nobody here, not one single person here that's for him. Nobody. And not only that, the butler and the baker who had fallen in a favor with, with the king, they had dreams and he interpreted their dreams and he said to the baker, he says, I'm sorry, but the king's going to take your head off. But the butler, you're going to get your job back. And when you get your job back, he says, remember me. Don't forget me. Uh, this is, you'll see this coming true, so don't you forget who told you. You got it here first. I told you first. And of course, when he got out, he totally forgotten about him. For to two years, until the king had a dream that he couldn't interpret, that Joseph was able to. So now it's over 20 years. Over 20 years since God gave him that dream. And it looks farther away than ever it has ever been. It would seem impossible. Here he is in a foreign land as a, as a slave in a prison house, and he's there for two years, and he looks as if he's never going to get out. And of course, we did a whole series on Moses there just a couple of months ago, didn't we? And has a little baby under threat of death from from, the, from Pharaoh, how the mother and father made that little ark of bulrushes and put him down the Nile, and, and how the princess, the Pharaoh's daughter, found him there and took pity on him. Of course, Miriam's big sister was hiding behind the palm tree and jumped out and said, would you like a, a Hebrew nurse to nurse him? Yeah, that would be great. And we'll pay her to do that. And of course, it was his own mother. And, and then he grew up for 40 years as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But those three or four years where his mother weaned him, whatever she said to him, whatever she prayed over him, whatever she whispered in his ear every night before he went to sleep, he never forgot that, that he was the one that God had called, that he would be the deliverer of his people. And at the end of 40 years, he had enough, and he thought, now I'm the deliverer. It's time to start here. I'm 40 years old. Better get started here. And he killed that Egyptian, didn't he? He was fighting, he was bad to some of his brethren. Then he had to run to Midian, had to hide in Midian. For the next 40 years, he was there in Midian looking after his father-in-law's sheep. So now he's 80 years old. From a little child, he knew he was called to do this for God, but he's 80, and it hasn't happened yet. You would think, it's never going to happen. I'm 80 years old. I'm on the backside of the desert. And then suddenly, things changed, didn't they? They got that burning bush experience. David spent many years in exile, first of all from Saul, the king who wanted to kill him. 
And then even worse than that, from his treacherous son, Absalom, who definitely wanted to kill him and steal his throne. And David, in a very, very small army he gathered around him, had to go and live in exile in dens and caves for years. And so even though he knew he was anointed to be king, Samuel, when he was just a lad, anointed him to be king over Israel. But that was years, that was decades ago. Years ago. And it hasn't happened yet. Would it ever happen? And it seemed like that dream had, had weathered and shriveled. It would never happen. Some people can actually pinpoint the very moment when the dream died, when the ministry shriveled up, when it seemed it was all over. The Apostle Peter in Luke 22, remember the arrest and trial of Jesus. Luke 22, verse 54, having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him by the, sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another, man, another saw him and said, You are also of them. But Peter says, Man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times, So Peter went out and wept bitterly. That was the moment. Right at that moment when that rooster crowed and Jesus looked at him, he knew it's over. It's gone. The ministry that I felt I had, that I was going to have, that the kingdom I was going to be a ruler in, it's gone. In that moment, everything was gone. Withered, died, finished, ended. John, the apostle, is a very old man at this point. The Roman authorities exiled him to Patmos, which was a Roman penal colony for hard labor. And there he was, cut off from the mainland, In fact, you could see the mainland over the sea, cut off from the churches that he was, I suppose he was like the bishop over the churches in that area. He was the senior man there. He was the only apostle left. Every other apostle had been martyred. He's the only one left. He's late 80s, early 90s. It's over. It's done. He's cut off. All, he can, all he's left is wondering what's happening in the mainland, what's happening in the churches. In my absence, what's going on? Who's taking charge? 
What are the authorities doing against them if they've done this against me, the senior man? What about you today? Is there part of your life has withered, shriveled? Ministry that you once had, calling that you walked in, a dream that you cherished, a hope that you had? The word withered here is zeros, and it means dried up. Like the sun has been beating on land to the point where it's just baked and cracked and dried. Fruitless, unproductive, no sap, no vitality, no growth in it. Is there a part of your life that maybe today, a part of it, that seems barren, unfruitful, dormant? Well, take heart. I have good news for you today. The Apostle Paul in Romans eleven twenty nine said, the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. The gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. God still has called, still has given ministry, still gave you that hope, still put that dream in your heart. He hasn't given up on it, so don't you give up on it. It's irrevocable. He doesn't take it back. He puts it into your hand. But in life, stuff happens. Stuff happened to all these people. And it seemed like it was over for them. Their ministries, their dreams, their callings, their gifts, it all dried up. Looked as if it was gone for good. Now, even though this man in the synagogue had something working against him, but he had something in his favor. He was in the synagogue on the Sabbath when Christ showed up. <laughs> you never know what you miss in the house of God if you're not there. The very thing maybe God was going to speak to you and you weren't there to hear it. Say, so, well, if God wants me to hear it, I'll hear it. No, 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 no. Sometimes God has a place for you to hear it and a day for you to, and a time for you to hear it. But if you just can't be bothered. But this man was in the right place at the right time. Jesus was there. Notice what Jesus asked him to do. He asked him to stand up, verse 8, arise and stand here. Stand up, he said. Often to reclaim something in our lives that we felt has been lost or shriveled, we have to stand up on the inside. Have to stand up in obedience. Have to take a stand. Joseph had to stand. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy for him. What could he do? But he stood up on the inside. He stood up on the inside. He never gave up. And he never gave in. And at the end of it, 
Do you know a pastor texted me this morning? You know, our pastor friends and we texted each other and he texted me at nine o'clock this morning. He always has little things he texts me. And he said to me, but Joseph, funny enough, he says, if it hadn't been for the prison, he never would ended up in the palace. He says, if it hadn't been for the chains around his feet, he never would have had the golden chain around his neck. <laughs> and Joseph stood up. He could have become bitter and cynical and angry, but he didn't. Somebody said a problem never leaves you or it finds you. That'll leave you better or better depending on how you handle it. He could have been very bitter against his brothers, against his family, against the Ishmaelites, against Potiphar's wife, against everybody. Looked as if the whole world was against him. But he didn't become bitter. Instead, he became better. That's our choice too, by the way. And David had to stand up. It came at one point, he had to come out of the caves and the dens and he had to face that treacherous son Absalom he had to face it head on and sometimes we well, got to come out of the caves and the dens and stand up and face some things Peter had to stand up didn't he I mean he was a complete and utter failure complete and utter failure had blown it completely. Nothing left, humiliated, embarrassed, broken, hopeless. And yet, and yet. <laughs> See, those gifts and callings were irrevocable. God hadn't finished with them at all. The Lord had a great work for him to do. And of course, in the day of Pentecost, he stood up then, didn't he? He didn't have to stand up. <laughs> Imagine preaching your first great sermon and 3,000 people come to Christ. And that would be a wonderful start to your ministry, wouldn't it? Of course, Jesus met him in that shore, didn't he? After they had fished all night and caught nothing, and Jesus met them. And three times he asked him, do you love me? Because three times he denied him. And he forgave him. Brought him back into the ministry fold. John on the Isle of Patmos seemed like it was all over for him. He's old. Maybe his day's gone. Maybe he served his purpose. He's a living martyr. The rest are dead martyrs. Huh. But actually, his greatest work was about to take place because he got the revelation of Jesus Christ. A revelation that no man on earth ever had. He saw Jesus, they had never seen him ever before in the three years he was with him in the flesh. And he wrote it in a book called Revelation. And wouldn't our Bible be, wouldn't it be a lot less if we didn't have the book of Revelation? I don't mean just to be one book short, but I mean in the, in the big overall picture of the whole Bible, and the overall scheme of God's great plans for this earth. We'd miss a lot if we didn't have the book of Revelation. 
So Jesus asked this man to stand up, arise and stand here. Then he says, stretch out your hand. Reach out that part which was withered and shriveled and useless and not functioning anymore, that's dormant, that's just lying at your side. Reach it out to me. Reach out your hand, he said. I wonder how he felt at that moment. He could have said, this is a waste of time. I mean, what can anybody do with this hand? It's useless. But he didn't. He didn't. Reach out your hand. Sometimes, even though it may seem pointless and a waste of time and may feel a little bit foolish and thinking too much time has passed, it's long gone, but if you just reach it out to him, he can bring life back into it again. He's about to bring life into this dead hand. In verse 10, look what it says, and he did so. He obeyed. Regardless of how he felt, at that moment he obeyed. What had he to lose? <laughs> he really lost. So he obeyed, and he reached it out. And it says in verse 10, And his hand was restored as whole as the other. In his case, it was instantaneous. In a moment... Right before their eyes it happened. It was a physical miracle. But I'm talking to you today about something spiritual. Is it possible that that calling, that dream, that ministry, that gift, that hope, is it possible for it to be restored? Absolutely. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. Glory to God. God is in the restoring business, isn't he? <laughs> Psalm 23, he restores my soul. Hmm? Prophet Jeremiah said that all the years that the locusts had eaten, that God would restore it. Nehemiah restored the broken down walls of Jerusalem. And we know again that Ezra gathered up all those old broken down stones of the temple and raised it up again. God is in the restoring business. And God can restore the part of you that's withered. Something needs mending, restoring, healing, and wholeness. And God loves to do that. There are many, many testimonies that people have of how God restored them, or restored their ministry, or restored that calling, or restored that gift, or restored whatever it may be. So he said, reach it out to me. And he stood up and he reached it out in front of everybody. And suddenly, in an instant, a miracle took place. And that hand was restored as whole as the other. 
Amen. Could we just bow in prayer a moment? I think it would be remiss of me today having shared that if I didn't give you the opportunity to respond. And I'm going to do that in a moment. And there may be a part of your life that you can look into your heart and say, yeah, there's something that I used to be and used to have and used to do I was passionate about. But somehow in life I lost that. It shriveled, withered up. I don't need to know what that is. The person beside you doesn't need to know what that is. You know and God knows. That's all it needs to know. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do in a moment. I'm going to ask you to do what Jesus asked the man to do. He said, stand up here. See, he wanted him just not to physically stand up, but to stand up on the inside. To make a decision in your heart. Lord, that part of me I want restored. My zeal, my passion, my desire, whatever it may have been. Lord, somehow it's just waned and faded. It's in the background. But I want it in the forefront. I want to get that passion back and that zeal that I had. And so that resonates in your heart this morning. What I want you to do is just where you are. I don't want you to come out to the front, but just where you are. I want you just to quietly stand. Nobody looking or looking around, but just quietly just stand where you are at your seat because we're going to pray. You're making a decision. It's your choice. And in your heart, you're saying, Lord, I want this part to be restored. Whatever it may be. And if you want to do that, then do it now. Thank you. Thank you. Few people are standing. It's their business, it's God's business, not mine or yours. God already knows our hearts, He knows what we need, and we know where we should be, where we want to be. Now, the second thing I want you to do is what the man did. I want you to reach out your hand towards me. I'm not Jesus, obviously. But just as a point of contact, as an act of your faith, I want you now to reach out your hand towards me. Just do it right now. And as I reach out my hand towards you, I'm going to pray and ask the Lord Jesus to touch you and to restore that, to make you whole again. Lord Jesus, you see every heart that's standing here today. You know the depth of their being.
you know their greatest need and desire right now. And Lord, I believe that you will fulfill this, that you will do it for your honor and glory and for their good. And Lord, that you will begin from this moment to restore, to bring back to life, to kindle again the flame and cause that zeal and passion and desire to return. Lord, that they may serve you more effectively. So Lord, right now I ask, Lord, that you would bring life into that withered part and restore it. The part that was marred, I pray that you will mend it now in Jesus' name. And I give you thanks for it, Lord. Let it begin from this moment and let them see and feel and understand and know, Lord, that you're doing this work in their heart and life and that will change to the glory of God in Jesus' name. And we give you thanks. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.